Hello, legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to remind everybody that this show is 100% free and will always remain that way. I do have a subscription service which gets you early and ad-free access to this show and my new show, Crime at Bedtime. However, should you not wish to sign up for that, not a problem at all. You will always get episodes of one minute remaining every Tuesday and Thursday completely free. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You don't really even say nothing. just he stopped right I got to take pictures of you. And I said for what? And he just took the picture, told me to turn the side, took that picture and then took another one. And then I felt kind of kind of weird and he just walked away, didn't say nothing else. By day, Sunnyside is as peaceful as its name. But when the sun goes down, youth gangs roam the streets. I would say 94, 95, and 96 is when that's when they started kind of shooting at us and then it became really serious, you know, these guys are actually trying to kill us, you know. My mom doing that messed with my my brother's mind a lot. He's the one I think that took it um, the hardest because he felt rejected. This is for like the excitement. It's just for a while. You can call it a temporary job while you're a kid. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. My name is Jack Lawrence, the host and creator of this show. Today is part three of my chat with Evaristo Salas Jr. Now 42, Jr. was arrested and convicted for murder at the age of just 15. He's now served over 26 years behind bars for a crime he says he didn't commit. So the facility where Junior is at the moment is what's called a camp. It's a far cry from his previous prison where gang fights, stabbings and riots were commonplace. The camp allows the men a bit more freedom and some very small creature comforts, rewards for good behaviour, which sees these men also allowed out of the prison for work detail. This particular evening Junior and I caught up, he'd just got back from a hard day in the community shoveling snow. Start the conversation now. Hey. Hey, Jake, how are you doing? Good, mate. How have you been going the last couple of days? Uh, everything's been all right. Uh, just been working and then uh, had a little two-day break. But today, well, we've got a bunch of snow dumped on us, so we had a lot of work today. Shoveling snow for about six hours, that was lovely. Oh, damn. Yeah, I take it as exercise, though. It's going to keep me young, you know? Yeah, yeah, true. I, yeah. Do my, I do my actual extra, like, you know, weightlifting and everything later on, during, like, toward, towards the night, when yeah. we have our gyms. And then when I work, I take that as my cardio, so... <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, no one, no one likes it away somehow, yeah, yeah. That's it. No, no one likes cardio, so at least you can say, "Well, that's my cardio done." Yeah, exactly. No, I usually run in summertime, but not in the wintertime. Oh, uh, you're. I see. I'm a, I'm a runner too. I like running. I think it's really great. You know, I, I use it to clear my head. Oh yeah, I love it. It's, and then you get that kind of runner's high afterwards, and everything feels kind of you're like, oh yeah. Yeah. No, so so how many how many uh, how how far can you run within the the place you're at? Well, we're just basically in circles. It's been so the the. Before I came out to camp, uh, the main institution, what they call it, that yard is a uh, two laps around is a mile. Right. So two laps around the track is a mile. Yeah, it's a huge yard. It's probably the biggest one in the state. Yeah, that's huge. But the one out here, it's four laps is a mile, or no, three and a half laps around is a mile. It's kind of the same, but it feels like you're running more because you're hitting more laps. Yeah, totally. <laughs> It'd be more frustrating because you're like, a, you do three laps and you're like, I haven't even hit a mile yet. Yeah, exactly. And then the track out here is pretty terrible, so you got to avoid potholes. It's really crowded, you know, small, and so we got to run around people. They overwater the lawn, so it's horrible. The year is 1996. The Macarena was burying itself into the world's brain as it spent 14 weeks at number one. Kids had forgotten about living, breathing pets as we all stood around the playground trying to keep our Tamagotchis alive. And 10-year-old Jack was just hoping for the latest console for Christmas, the Nintendo 64. You know who everybody's after. You know the games of Nintendo 64. Meanwhile, as most kids my age were worrying about those things... 7,000 miles away, a young 15-year-old boy was facing the rest of his life behind bars. Evaristo Salas Jr. has been picked up by Sergeant Jim Rivard of the Sunnyside Police Department after he apparently receives information from a known informant that said Jr. was overheard by him bragging about committing this crime. Junior arrives at the station and is taken into an interrogation room. Surprise, surprise, without any legal representation or a guardian of any sort. I'm going to assume you didn't have any legal representation when they were questioning you. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, they, they read me my rights. They were like, do you understand that? And I was like, yeah, do you want to talk to this? Well, yeah, I ain't got nothing to And But as a juvenile, you know, they're, they're, they're supposed to have a parent there. or That's what I thought, but they... they they never kind of, there was no pushback on that. To have two, two officers, adult officers in a room interrogating a 15-year-old and accusing, you know, over, over what they are saying they believe you to have committed a murder, it just, to me, just it blows my mind that they can just sit there and, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure in, you know, in this country or the UK, two countries that I'm more familiar with, like having having an underage person in an investigation, you know, interrogation without at least having an adult there on their side is just a massive no-no. Yeah, and it's commonplace in the United States. It's oh common. no, it's, it happens a lot. And I mean, you, yeah. you've even got—I mean, the, one of the most famous cases that I was watching about the other day was the Central Park Five. I mean, there were sixteen-year-olds that were being interrogated, and they ended up confessing to a crime they didn't do. Yeah, exactly. Junior's being interrogated about the murder of a man by the name of Jose Aurelio. Police claim that Junior shot him twice in the head 
as he sat in the passenger side of his vehicle. Junior continues to plead his innocence, explaining that he had nothing to do with it, but his cries of innocence fall on deaf ears. The police, in their minds, have their man, or child, and it's case closed. Were you let go after a certain amount of time, or what happened after your first lot of questioning? No, they, they charged me right then and there. Oh, they charged you that right was, then uh, and there? Right then and there, yeah. So they, they, they interrogated me for maybe 20 to 30 minutes, basically me arguing, telling them I didn't do it, I don't know what you guys are talking about, you know, in tears, you know, asking for my dad, that kind of stuff. And they just looked at me and said, well, we're going to charge you. And that's, that was the beginning of the nightmare right there. So Junior's just been charged with murder and instantly is given a glimpse of what the next 30 plus years of life will look like as the police lock him up with adult offenders. I just could not believe my head. I was thinking in my head, how did, what? And I was literally in shock. I just, I remember kind of, I was, I was crying and I was like, no, this can't be real. And, 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 and then, they, and then these, these guys, these, these cops who I've known, like, they throw me into the cell in the Sunnyside jail, which is like a dungeon. I mean, it's nasty, it's dirty. They throw me with, there's an adult in the other one, and they just throw me into one of those cells, and I'm thinking, what the, what? What am I doing here, you know what I mean? And they throw me in a suit that doesn't even fit me. And then to make matters worse, when they put me in the police station, they're not telling me anything. They're saying, oh, we're gonna charge you with murder. I'm like, what the? I call my dad, I'm crying to my dad, and my dad's like, he, he asked me, do you have anything to do with it? I said, dad, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know anything. He said, all right, he said, look, I'm gonna figure it out. Just, it's going to be all right, and then, that was, and then they took me to the, instead of taking me to the juvenile, which they're supposed to, they took me to the county jail, which is, is the adult county jail for, for, for adult offenders. And I'm like, what the, and I'm scared. I'm like, oh. and then the, 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 when we get there, they process me in, and, and the staff that's there looks at me and said, what the hell are you bringing him over here for? He, he's a juvenile. And the guard's like, oh, well, he's going to come over here anyways, you know, they're going to charge him as an adult. And so he's doing this. And when I look back at it, to scare me, I'm not even supposed to be there. And the guy looks at him again. He goes, look, I can process this, but it, it's, he's not supposed to be here. He's supposed to be in the juvenile, at the juvenile. And he's like, well, go ahead and just do it. So they kept me in there for about two hours in the booking area. And I'm like, I was like, oh, my God, they're putting him in the county jail. And then two hours later, they take me to the juvenile. And I'm like, what the, f-? you know, and that's how it began for me. That was my day. And I'm just like, what? And the whole time I'm just like, I can't for the life of me think what the hell's going on here. And then I kept thinking, no, it's just a mistake. They'll figure it out. They just, you know, I mean, it's going to be over. And, and, and that was the opposite of it. That was the, that was the way I kept myself from freaking the hell out. You know what I mean? I was just like, okay, they made a mistake. They're going to see it. It's just, they're just trying to, you know what I mean? But it just got progressively worse and worse. Eventually, he's taken from the county jail and placed in juvenile detention, something he had experienced before. Well, I've been, I had an old juvenile prior, because that, that one was relatively new. They had just built that one. Mm. I was in an old one that was pretty grimy, and I was only there for like five or six days. Mm. And I was there for, uh, I think it was malicious mischief or something. I can't remember what it was. It was one of those charges. I was kicking a board off a fence or something. I got under a trespass or something. And then I ended up... I got angry at this, this. I brought this on myself. You know, the judge probably wouldn't have put me in there, but I, I got angry with them, and I was like, "Oh, I ain't coming back." And this is this and that. And he goes, "Oh, you're not going to come back? Okay, well, I'm just going to detain you." And I was like, "Oh shoot!" You know, what I mean, and that was kind of my first kind of 
you know, realization that I, maybe I should better off keeping my mouth shut, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know, so I did about six days on that, and then my, my, my dad came and picked me up, and, mm. you know, I tried to explain to me, look, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to start acting right, you know, and, and then there was a, <clears throat> it was right, it was like in February of 96, I did, I think, 30 days uh, in the juvenile that I was in right there, so I had, I had that kind of a, experience but I was never kind of sent away for anything longer than the longest I did was 40 days and that was only the second time I'd been in juvenile. So this isn't completely unfamiliar territory for Junior although he says the violence in juvenile is aggressive and frequent. The juvenile was was really violent uh, but the program was nice so the the problem with the, the violence was as the gangs because basically you have a bunch of youngsters that are part of one gang or another and they're kind of mixing you all together. And they're literally fighting nonstop over and over every day. You know, they're they're two on one, one on two, uh, one on ones. And you know, people that are my age, they're impulsive, so they're they're harder to control. So they're they're not like you know, they're not going to reason about things. So there's there's constant fights, constant lockdowns. Um, but the program was nice. So they, they you know the juvenile was pretty clean because it was brand new. Uh, they fed us good. We went to school. Um, and from the morning all the way to about two or three, they didn't allow us to be in the cells. Uh, they were dry cells. Uh, they had a shower. They provided us all we need and snacks sometimes. Mm. And then they had a kind of level-based system. So if you behaved and everything, you got more time out of your cell later. The way the guards treated you, they didn't really kind of harass you. They kind of just kind of watched over you. And mm. whenever there was a fight, they would break it up. We had a yard throughout the day. Um, we went to school, that kind of stuff. It, like I said, the only thing that was so bad about it was was it was just the, the level of violence when it came to the gang stuff, you know. Yeah. And by that time, I had already made the, I had made the decision that when I got there, that I wasn't going to be part of the gang no more. So I declared that as soon as I got there, even though some people came in, knew me from the streets. Once I declared that, they pretty much kind of just left me alone, and I was able to kind of just function by myself. Right. And I had some moments where some people were aggressive, but it wasn't nothing over the game. It was mainly over like basketball and that kind of stuff. And, and I got in like one fight over, I think it was one or two fights over a basketball game. And so it was, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad in that sense. And, you know, like I said, it was, it was more like, it, it wasn't like a prison setting. It was, I mean, you're in your cell and that kind of stuff, but it's, it wasn't what you see like on TV and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was by prison standards, it was, it was like the Hilton, you know, yeah, compared right. to the prisoners, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the county jail, but it was for me. It was uh, I, I, I was always telling everybody how I didn't do it. I couldn't really. It didn't matter who it was. I explained to them I didn't do that. I didn't. I didn't feel right that they seen that charge on me, or they seen it in news or whatever. And, and I felt like I had to kind of tell everybody that I ran into. You know. It isn't long before the decision is made that Junior will be removed from juvenile detention and once again shipped off back. To the county jail. And some of the, the officers that were there, I, you know, I got to know them pretty good. There was one, this female, that was really, really nice to me. And I used to always kind of do uh, extra stuff, like, you know, fold up the laundry, that kind of stuff. And I remember when they had um, decided that they were going to send me to the county jail, I was actually getting transported out and they were cuffing me up in there. And she was right there because she worked in the booth and she was crying, you know. And, and I think she felt really sad because, like I said, I was heading to an adult prison. I looked like I was, you know, 10 years old. And maybe she kind of, I was too young to kind of comprehend the magnitude of the situation. Yeah. So the fear didn't really develop, you know, because I just didn't really know what to expect. I couldn't really, you know, uh, understand it. But I think that her being older, she knew that I was about to head into an environment that was really hostile and, and pretty bad things might, might were probably going to happen to me, you know. So 
but there was a lot of compassion in her eyes, you know, and so. But uh, I spent only about three months there, and then they decided to transfer me as an adult. Uh, and that right there was like a, it was, it was a strange thing. It was a hearing. It was like a mini trial. And they got up and basically they had to just say if, if I was a, so the state hired a psychologist and then my uh, a probation officer. And they did these interviews with my family, uh, you know, how I grew up. If, you know, if I function as an adult, that would give them kind of justification to send me to an adult, uh, you know, prison or, yeah. or try me as an adult. Yeah. Well, the psychiatrist came back and he testified and said that, you know, that, that I function mentally as like a two or three year old. Even though I was emotionally, you know, kind of mature from my age, but you know, when it comes to math, reading those kind of things, I function almost a, you know, as a, as a two. Well, he said it. Well, he said a not two year, but a, a second and third grader. Yeah. And he said that I wouldn't. He goes, I would do. He said he would do good in a setting that has to do with a juvenile, because there they kind of, you know, you go to school, you you get degrees, that kind of stuff. It's it's foster. It's it's. It's organized towards, you know, uh, rehabilitation. Yeah. While the adult system is based on punishment and, and punitive stuff, you know. And so, in that sense, he argued against actually trying as an adult. Mm. He said, keep him in a juvenile for this reason, this reason. And then the probation officer, who kind of went, talked, interviewed all these people in my life, and came back with the same conclusion and said, you know, he was living with his dad. You know, he hung around people his age, sometimes younger. Um, he didn't have, he had a girlfriend, but it was a girlfriend that was his age. You know, he didn't live at other people's house. He didn't provide for himself. And so she actually voted against it, too, saying these are both people hired by the state. Uh, the judge overruled that and said, uh, because of the seriousness of the crime, uh, I want to transfer him to adult court. He's going to be tried as an adult. And so I would, they sent me to the county jail. So we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we need to hit rewind and take a closer look at just how Evaristo Salas Jr. became suspect number one in a murder investigation. And I got a real bad feeling when he did that too. I was thinking, what the... I don't know, that just didn't seem right, you know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. All right, couple of announcements in our break here. Firstly, we've joined the rest of the world and we have a website, oneminuteremaining.com.au. That is live right now. The main reason we have a website not just because everyone's got a website, because you'll need somewhere to be able to purchase your one minute remaining merch. That's right. Uh, it's been, been asked for for a while now. I finally got around to uh, sorting some of it out. So you'll be able to buy merch from the website. But, there's always a but, uh, it won't be available all the time because what I'm going to have to do is limited releases purely because, as you know, I'm a sole creator. So I can't be going out and buying thousands of T-shirts and mugs and that sort of stuff because, one, I've got nowhere to put it, and, two, I just don't have the funds for it. So we will do limited releases. You'll be able to get them from the website. How will we know when the limited releases happen? That's a very good question. Facebook, make sure you're on the one minute remaining Facebook page because you will get plenty of notice of when we're going to be doing merch drops. Whenever someone is arrested, there's always the discussion regarding bond, or as we call it, bail. Depending on the severity of your crime, the courts can offer offenders the chance to be released until their case is heard. After all, innocent till proven guilty, right? If you're given this opportunity as part of your bail or bond conditions, the magistrate or judge may demand a surety. A surety is a person who agrees to give an amount or forfeit a sum of money or property if you don't show up at court when you're supposed to. Junior says this hearing took place, but there was just no way he would be getting out anytime soon. When I when I when I was transferred to the dog court, that's what they do. The first thing they do bond bond hearing. So the first hearing I go to is a bond hearing. Yeah. So they set bond at a hundred thousand, which there's no way it's possible no way you can make it. Yeah. That I could even come up with that. So they here in the states, in the United States, that's what they do. You know, they they set these outrageous bonds where they they might as well not even give you bonds. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. You know, and and so for me it was like my, my dad. He was telling me he was one day he was crying. He's like, man, I I, I wish I can get you out, but I have nothing. My whole life is not even worth you know hundred thousand. I got nothing literally that would even come close to that. And I told him, Dad, look, I, I understand that. You know, I mean, don't. It is what it is. You know, what I mean, and then when they sent me to the county jail, which was you know horrific. You know, they and because I was a juvenile, I didn't. I, they put me straight into isolation. I didn't go into you know to. Oh, because of protection for you because you were so young. Exactly. So they had to separate us from the adults because we'd be preyed upon and either, you know, in one form or another. And so the only way they can do that is to put us in isolation. And there was other juveniles in there, you know, and so, and it was horrible, you know. We were in a little small tank and, and, you know, we're just stuck in there. We're not in our cells, but the tank is so small as might as well be a cell, you know. 
And so there they housed us. And there was there was five other juveniles there with me. Uh, three of them were charged with murder. Three or four of them charged with murder. And so there's what there. That's where we sat. You know? Just the isolation alone. That experience is, is it almost stunts your emotional development because you're just stuck in isolation. You're over here trying to survive that, and you develop all of these things that you kind of don't see until later on in life. Social anxiety, those kind of things come later, and, and you kind of kind of trace it all the way back to these long periods of isolation that you were stuck in. And again, that makes absolutely no sense. It's like, well, everyone's saying, oh, he should be in juvenile, and then the judge saying, no, no, I'm going to try him as an adult, he can go to the adult jail, but then they can't put you in with the population anyway. So they're essentially putting you into a juvenile section. It's like, well, why not just, there's, there's something already created for that, just put them in the juveniles. Yeah, why not just leave them there and just yeah. put them in their own section in the juvenile? Yeah. I mean, it's it's really no different, but I, I think it's, that that whole aspect is during like the 90s, they were tough on crime. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they, were, they had this, this myth about the, the, uh, it was called the, the juvenile or, or the these juveniles that were that were maniacs that could never be changed and all that stuff. Yeah. And they were getting younger and younger, 14 and 12 and 13, you know, and they were passing all these laws at that time. And I think it's mainly for public consumption. Yeah. Know? Oh, we're whipping them to the county jail, so we're hard and tough on crime. And and Yakima, that whole area is a conservative place. You know, it's a rural area. So it's conservative. And so they love that tough on crime kind of approach. We punish them, you know, they shouldn't they shouldn't eat nothing but bread and water. Yeah. You know, you go to these bigger cities, you know, like Seattle or, or you know, Olympia or, you know, Vancouver or Spokane, they're liberal. They're more like, you know, where well, we gotta treat, you know, certain people a certain way. But you go to these rural small towns and they're just like Man, throw the you know, throw the key away. They're guilty. We don't care about them, you know what I mean? You know? Yeah. And then being Hispanic being a minority, even it's worse. even worse. You know? yeah. It's like, you know, everybody that's that's uh, that's in a position of power in those places, they're white. And I don't say that to say, well, it's, everything's racist. No, not everything is racist. But there is a sense of, a, 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 of racism that's implanted in the system, you know, that you don't really notice, but it is there when you look around you. Yeah. And so, and it's just, it's for public, public consumption. And it's like, okay, we're tough on these guys. So Junior is locked up. He's been arrested for murder, a crime which happened six months prior, a crime where detectives had no leads at all. Ophelia Gonzalez, the victim's partner, says she saw the shooter but so far has been unable to pinpoint the perpetrator from photo lineups. There were a number of witnesses at the scene but all seemed to have conflicting opinions as to what the shooter looked like. So just how does... Evaristo Salas Jr. become the kid arrested for this crime. Well, it is the 90s, so it's time to put the tape back in the deck and hit rewind. The lead detective is an officer, as we know, by the name of Jim Rivard. Mr Rivard has since retired from the police, but at the time he arrested Junior, they already had a long history together. And at first I laughed. I was like, what? I was like, come on, man. I mean, I I told Rivard, I said, you know me my entire freaking life. Are you serious right now? And he didn't laugh. He goes, no, I'm serious. Junior talks me through his first run-in with Jim Rivard. The first encounter I had with him was when I was like five or six, you know. 
we were throwing rocks in this creek or something and I accidentally hit one of these kids. They called the cops for whatever reason. He came in and I was in somebody's house you know, next door to my house. And they came in and it's like, oh, the cops want to talk. You know? And I was scared. I was like, no, I'm not going out there. And Rebard came in and literally grabbed me by the neck and pulled me off of the couch. And by the time I'm screaming and you know, trying to get away, squirming and everything, and then he kind of chokes me out. I remember I was in, in front of the yard and he's trying to apologize and I'm bleeding from my nose. My mom's yelling at him, what did, what did you do to him? You know, And he's like, oh, you know, he was trying to fight me or something like that. But I was so young. That was my first memorable encounter with, with that cop. So just how does Jim Rivard end up arresting Junior for this crime? Well, you may remember that we already stated all of a sudden during a chance encounter with a known informant, Jim Rivard gets told that Junior was overheard bragging by the informant about the murder. This is how it plays out. One day, Evaristo is at the police station being questioned on an unrelated matter, when all of a sudden, as he's about to leave, Rivard comes out of nowhere and tells Junior he needs to take his picture. Here's Junior on that. Yeah, yeah, I was being, I was being questioned on because remember I said they always drag me in to question me yep. for things, that kind of stuff? So they, there, was a, there was an incident that took place in the town before where somebody had got killed and uh, uh, a bunch of my friends from the gang were all there. So they came, they came to swoop us all up and they wanted to speak to all of us. And I was, so they came in and interrogated us, their normal little thing, you know, okay, what happened here, what happened there? Some people were there um, and they were asking all these questions and stuff like that. And then before, when I was already walking out, he just stops him out of nowhere and he just says, hey, you don't really even say nothing. Just say, hey, stop right there, I gotta take pictures of you. And I said, for what? And he just took the picture, told me to turn the side, took that picture, and then took another one. And then I felt kind of kind of weird, and he just walked away. He didn't say nothing else. And then I just walked off, and I'm just thinking in my head, like, what the hell was that about, you know? And I got a real bad feeling when he did that, too. I was thinking, what the? I don't know, that just didn't seem right, you know? And then just didn't, really after that, I didn't think nothing, nothing of it. Now's the time to listen closely, because this is how Jim Rivard says the whole thing plays out. Jim is sitting in his office, paying his informant for some other information he's been given. Nothing unusual about this. Informants who give police information that lead to arrests get kickbacks in the form of money sometimes. The informant with Jim was one of his regulars, and he'd already asked him if he could see what he could find out about the Jose Aurelio shooting. As Jim is sitting in his office, he says another police officer walks in and tells Jim he has Junior Salas with him, and he's about to let him go. Did Jim want to talk to him about anything? Jim replies, yeah, actually I will. Jim says he picks up his Polaroid camera and goes to find Junior. When he sees him, he decides he actually has nothing to ask him and instead takes the three Polaroids of Junior, front on and one on either side, just like you do when you arrest someone. Now, Jim has been asked why he decided to take Junior's photos that day, and his response to that was, and I quote, You know what? To this day, I still don't know why. Jim says he then heads back to his office where his informant is sitting, and he casually just chucks the Polaroids on the table. The informant sees the photos and says, and I quote from Jim Rivard, What do you need me for? You already got the guy who shot Aurelio. That's him. Well, what a stroke of luck that was.
Not only do we now have this snitch who confirms that he overheard Junior admitting to the crime, but also Jose Aurelio's partner, Ophelia Gonzalez, the one who couldn't pick anyone from a photo lineup. Well, she's now shown another one, and apparently, as soon as she spots Junior's photo, she screams, that's him. So, after six months without a single lead, the police have what they need to make an arrest and take Junior Salas to court. I, 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 was, so, I was so confident that the, that the truth would be so easily be seen. I was like, I, and I always tell my dad, I said, look, dad, I really didn't do this. So there's no possible way. And that kind of thought process gave me a sense of comfort. And I was like, oh, there's no way. It, it just won't happen. Not in America. Because up until this point, whenever you go to school, when all the movies you watch, it's America has the best justice system in the world. We're the envy of the world when it comes to this. We don't put people away from prison. Every movie you watch, they cast the criminal. And that's ingrained in us as children. And so my mindset was the same way, even though I lived, you know, in a certain way and, and, and you, know, you know, I was a gang member and that kind of stuff. I still believed in that kind of inflated version of what the American justice system was. And that gave me a certain amount of comfort and my dad. But we learned very quickly that, that, that that's not the case, you know. So it was just like when I finally started going to trial, you know, and, and you know, I, I was, first of all, I, I'm, not only, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert to a certain extent. I don't like to be the center. I don't like to be in crowds. Uh, I'm more comfortable being alone, that kind of stuff, you know. And so they thrusted me into this where I was kind of the center. And the worst part is to hear these, to hear them, you know, say these, these things that, that I did that I know I didn't do. And I can't just get up there and yell, I didn't do it, you know, or this and this. And this. That's not the way the courts work. Mm. You know, you do that kind of stuff, then you're the one, you look horrible. You just, you don't look like, you, you know. And so I sat there in a submissive way, you know, and, and when I went to court, you know, it took about six months, so I, I was char- I was tried charged in May 22nd. I was sent to the county jail in August of 1996. And then I was, uh, I had my trial start in December. I think it was December 1st of, of 1996. So it was relatively a short time, which is really strange in, 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 uh, in, the, in the system of the American system, because usually they drag it out for long periods of time. But I didn't want to stay in, in jail longer. I was like, look, we got to get this in front of a judge or a jury for they can hurry up, you know, yeah, find me not guilty, I can go yeah, home. Yeah. You know? And and so that that was and I kept pushing and pushing and so we had we had trial within about six months. You have one minute remaining. And that's where we'll end it today. Coming up next time, Everisto has his day in court, and after the so-called snitch gets up and testifies, well, let's just say it doesn't go according to plan. And the whole case will end up relying solely on the testimony of one person, Ophelia Gonzalez, a key witness's information that will put Junior Salas away for life. But I said very few words. I just told the judge, I said, look, I didn't kill anybody. Someday, someday you guys are going to see that. But it's what Ophelia did prior to Junior's trial that would raise the most questions of all. Questions that would seemingly go unanswered. They actually had the charges and they forwarded to it. I got the paperwork on that. They forward those charges to the prosecutor attorney for rendering criminal assistance, which is helping, you know, the killers. And then there's nothing on it. Not a single thing. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Produced, hosted and created by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This show is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hold up. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.